You're listening to the Root and Stem Podcast, a podcast exploring issues and stories in STEAM education. In this episode, we hear from the former and first Indigenous Canadian Parliamentary Poet Laureate, Louise Bernice Half. She explores the importance of literacy and the role of Indigenous language in creative writing. My Cree name is Sky Dancer. I'm originally from Saddle Lake Reserve, Alberta. I presently live in Saskatchewan, and um, I'm Cree. I'm a poet, an author, and with a BSW and addictions training as well as facilitator. As well, I have been fortunate to be honored with three honorary degrees. I started writing it when I was 16, but it wasn't, I didn't know it was poetry at the time because I didn't have a word for it. I just was writing. But like any teenage angst, uh, it was all about um, suicide and my impending death and my romantic interests. Really bad poetry, frankly. And then um, when I was living in northern Saskatchewan with my husband and children, I started keeping a journal. And that was over 30 years ago. And in my journal writing, I discovered that I was writing poetry. I noticed in one of the newspapers that there was a call for submissions to New West Press by a couple of editors. So I submitted some um, prose poetry. And those two women encouraged me to keep writing poetry. They said I had a natural knack for it. I was also uh, mentored by... uh, a professor, Ron Markham, who saw the skills that I had and nurtured it and encouraged my writing. I didn't, I didn't grow up with reading and writing skills. I went to residential school for a total of seven years, though my, during that seven-year period, there was a brief break, uh, and then my parents returned, returned myself and my siblings back to the school. Uh, and to be honest, I don't know why. Anyhow, I left that school uh, with very, very bad education, I never learned how to utilize a library. And the only time I was frankly in- interested in literature was when the, when the nuns would read to us a, a chapter from a novel or a short story. And uh, because it caught my ears, uh, were an oral traditions, and I grew up with uh, legends my parents were telling us, and it wasn't by books. So I left that school badly, um, I will say, uneducated or unprepared for the real education. Because when I went to high school, I had very little uh, writing skills, reading skills, math. And uh, math, I still haven't um, mastered that. My reading and writing is something that I embarked on on my own. I got curious about reading because I would take my kids to the bookmobile in Saskatoon and uh, we would come home with uh, armloads of books and of course I was reading stories to them and it was by nurturing them that I became very interested in in reading and of course my husband is well read. Uh, That's how my uh, reading improved and my my ability to express myself and to be much more articulate and when I started writing it was very boring to be honest 
uh, was very mundane. It was like I would write something like, oh, it's a beautiful day and went for a ski. But I didn't describe any of those day days. And I, when I reflect back and reread my journals, I thought I haven't learned anything about, about that day. So I taught myself how to be much more descriptive. And I started paying attention to my own language, which is very, very descriptive. Cree is very poetic and is uh, full of meaning. One word can fill a whole page or more. And that's how I came into the reading and writing and, and into poetry. I've come a long way since my first book was published, Bare Bones and Feathers. When I reflect back on that particular book, it's like any writer. It's a beginning writer, and um, my work has become much more introspective and much richer. And um, there's been a, a real growing process in it in its development. So for any writer, what I'm going to tell all the youth that are listening is read, read, read. Read everything and read critically with an open mind, like I used to watch my mother read um, all these these crazy magazines, these crazy love stories, romantic of, of romantic interests, and um, you know it, it appeared to me she was interested in in reading, but she never got beyond those paperbacks or whatever it was, you know, that she was reading. But I read everything because I wanted to know. I'm a, I'm really curious by nature. And and um, I wanted to explore. I wanted to be adventurous, and so I I read everything, and I read critically, and I formed my own opinions after careful scrutiny of what I was reading. But one of the books that influenced me in residential school that was introduced to me was um, Pippi Longstockings. She was my heroine. I loved her. She was so adventurous, and I thought I want to be like her, and she was an example for me. It's everything. I may take something out of this interview that you and I have discussed and take a sentence or two and just write from that perspective. It's from books. It's from listening to people at a coffee shop. It's from asking questions of people about um, what was the funniest thing that ever happened to them or what was the saddest thing that ever happened to them. And I think about my own experiences throughout my life and and right from that perspective. I look at nature outside and I watch the birds and the and how picky they've come at the bird feeder. Like I've got about six bird feeders out there and they have their favorites. And I put a new bird feeder out and they won't touch it for weeks until the other bird until all the other seeds are gone. So I study them and I study my, my dog and my cats and uh, you know, and then I can write about that. So inspiration, you just have to follow an idea and the idea can become possessive and obsessive. I become obsessive and then possessive and I don't let it go. And if, if that's happening, that means I'm on the right track. But I also like the fact that when I was doing my work with the parliament, that people would ask me um, topics to write about. So I would think about that, and I, I like the fact that somebody would say, would you write about exercise for the elderly, for example? And so because I'm 70 years old, 
I uh, I started thinking about my life experience with exercise, and I taught myself how to exercise. I I uh, learned how to do aerobics watching Jane Fonda. I taught myself how to be a long distance runner by walking and a uh, walking from one telephone pole to another and then running one telephone pole to another so I could run a half marathon. I can't run anymore, but I do. I lift weights. I canoe and I hike. And um, as long as my body can keep that up, that's what I'll keep doing. My ancestors walked all over this land. There were runners, there were hikers, and I don't see why we cannot, we don't continue that. I want young people to do it. Just do it, is what my elders used to say. I don't write a whole stanza in Cree. I'm not capable of that. I think of words and I insert them in my poetry. And then I get one of my friends who's a linguist to do the proper spelling. And then what I also do is invite several other uh, Cree speakers who, who are... Um, who know the language, and then we dissect the language so that we understand the full meaning of it. And that, to me, is rich. We have a rich language. I started inserting Cree into my poetics because I would read English, and the English writer would insert a French stanza or a Latin stanza or, you know, uh, even just a few words in, in, in uh, a different language, and they wouldn't provide me with the translation. I was just expected to read into the lines, so to speak. And I thought, you know, if those mainstream writers, the white writers, who have whatever they're German, Italian, or whatever language they're, they're coming from, can insert this, this foreign language into their writing, why can't I do the same? I have that right. So I started to do that. It's really important to um, preserve the language, and it's not a lost language. Cree is, a, I think, the largest living language in Canada from my, my tribe. And um, we're doing our utmost, not only myself and inserting it, but many people who are on, um, who do Zoom activity, other podcasts, TikTok, Facebook, I don't do any of that stuff, but it's it's going on. People are relishing lifting up their language, and many of the youth bemoan losing the language. My husband is non-native. I have taught him the language. Although he's not extremely fluent in it, he is able to converse pray and sing in my language and it's because we've been married for almost 50 years and he's made that effort anybody going into a different culture it would be nice to have the respect and the courtesy to learn a few phrases here and there just to make it that effort is so important and I and I've heard people say well I've tried well trying is like trying to pick up a pen it's hardly respectful and and people are afraid of being laughed at and it's not being laughed at it's being is laughing with you rather than at you and they need to distinguish that difference and it's important to persevere and to ask the great mystery to help you with learning that language
Cree is so, it's not only philosophical, it's very spiritual, it's land-based, it's, it's body-based. It contains all of our creation stories. And um, yeah, it's like, I can't stress enough how important it is. Well, it is a career, but having said that, poetry is the least respected genre of all genres in this country. You will not make a living out of it. Uh, you're lucky if you make a thousand dollars a month. That hardly pays for anybody's room and board or rent these days, you know. Uh, however, having said that, I have been enriched by visiting all kinds of countries and all kinds of communities across Canada because they do the funding. They, you know, Canada Council, the Writers Guild, the Saskatchewan Arts Board, there, there's travel grants available for me to be able to carry that out. And um, the organizations can apply for these uh, travel grants for writers and pay them an honorarium. Uh, for Like Canada Council doesn't pay more than $250 for a poetry reading, if you're lucky. Okay, and you can go to school visits, and uh, the poet has to do their own marketing. And I really believe, and it's not because I'm full of myself, but I really believe my work has something to say. And so I flog poetry. You have to have another dream. You have to follow and honor that dream. Like my poetic dreams came early in my life, although it took me a long time to understand my dreams and I at the end when they started to show through my writing that I have been following my dreams I had to honor that and not only through a ceremony but through the uh, persistence perseverance but I also trained in social work although that's not what the path that I followed I hated my, the social work program I felt it it didn't inform me uh, of what social work was about, but I've done other kind of work experiences that are not. I'm not going to highlight. But a person needs to to nurture their art, not only respecting and honoring it, but to having another another career. Like there's a lot of people who nurture their art by being waitresses, which is doesn't pay a whole lot, but at least they've got a job to also honor their profession. You have to have it. Or you have to marry somebody who, who can support you or be a partner to somebody who can support you. You've got to have some sort of income because poetics themselves are not going to give you your bread and butter. I was the Poet Laureate of Saskatchewan for two years, and it is your peers who select you and, uh, and nominate you and that's what happened. I was nominated for the position, and um, uh, I accepted the nomination, although it took me a... I didn't want to do it in the first place for a couple of uh, for other reasons, but um, I thought it was the right time. And I'm also, like I said, I'm getting older, and I can't keep quiet about certain things, and I won't keep quiet about certain things. We need to know not only do our homework with ourselves, get some therapy. So I used the combination of Western therapy and ceremonial therapy from my tribe 
to move forward because I could not write about the things that I write about if I didn't do my own uh, healing. And healing has become kind of like a cliche, and I, I'm almost disliking that word because it's a long journey to process your internal wounds. So, yeah, it was because I was dominated, and I I am honored that my peers thought that I was good enough to fulfill those uh, functions and I carried out the duties as best I could, and um, I wish I could have done more. And um, what am I proud of? Well, I'm still a researcher. I'm still interested in life. I will always be interested in life, and I always want to to be able to uh, educate and inform. I won't tell people what to do. I will, however, educate because the elders teach us the decision is entirely always up to you. And there's always an outcome, whatever uh, path that you choose, there's consequences, there's choices. And with every choice, there's a consequence. People are writing about the um, residential school. And what I've really noted and what's coming out is those who've worked and gone into therapy and those who haven't. Writing itself doesn't heal anybody. It's a process. The person has to do the work, and it becomes evident in their writing because, you know, a blank piece of paper is like vomiting on the paper and uh, spreading it about. But sometimes, in terms of spreading it about, the beautiful work comes out. The beautiful work the flower comes out. However, that's on paper. The person themselves has to do the work, and when they do the work, they shine, okay? And and it becomes much more evident as they do the presentations. You know, there's no, there, of course they're gonna be triggered. I still get triggered, and I have to make note of that. And I'm going, okay, if I'm triggered, that means I haven't done my work in that particular area. Therapy in Western therapy and Native therapy and sharing circles. I don't say talking circles. I say sharing circles. When we learn to share each other's story, when we learn to dialogue in a good and healthy, respectful manner, and we hear each other's stories, it's validating and it's witnessing that story. And I love the psychology in our stories and the psychiatry in our stories because um, they dive deep. And of course, with with my residential school experience, I've been n not denied, but um, you know, both my parents were also residential school survivors. Uh, but I call them victors. We're all victors, people who have um, come out of that system. I hate for that. I'm bitter about that, you know, that I've been denied those stories because of that experience. So I continue to um, go to ceremony, to participate, to help carry out ceremony, and to um, help it come alive. With science and biology, for example, I grew up with my father hunting. So he taught me anatomy of wild animals. 
So if I can learn the anatomy of a wild animal by watching and then going to a book and going, oh yeah, so that's how you say it in English. This is how you say it in Crete. You know, there's all kinds. Literacy is not just the written word. It's photography in books. It's the video in books. Like you can go now to YouTube and figure out how to skin a rabbit, for example. And we can't just combine literacy just to mean I'm literate just because I can read. I'm literate because I can listen to the podcast. I'm literate because I can take examples from some somebody else's uh, discovery or adventure. We're, we're great supporters of literacy here in Saskatoon, my husband and I. Listening to oral tradition, listening to other people share their stories, and, and taking the interest to... Um, teach somebody how to read and write. Of course, this, it's incredibly important. So every tool that you can use to enhance your learning, don't overlook it. For more knowledge and stories from STEAM professionals, check out the Root & Stem magazine at pingwa.com. For more episodes of the Root & Stem podcast, available to download on your streaming platform of choice including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google.